Well, we are continuing our study in Jonah. If you would turn with me to Jonah chapter 1. And we're continuing to talk about this, this wayward prophet. How many of you started following God and then God asked you to do something and you said, you know, I don't feel like doing that. Come on, we've all said, uh, I'm, I'm not sure if I hear you right, God. You want me to do what? Well, last week we talked about what happens when we dismiss God's will. We have a wrong attitude about what God asks us to do. And this prophet had the wrong attitude about so many things. He had the wrong attitude about the ability of God to accomplish something. When God calls you to do something, it's usually something that you can't do on your own. And you think, well, I can't do it, so there are, therefore God must may not, not be asking me to do it. But when God calls you to do something, he gives you the ability to do it. Jonah thought that job would be impossible because those folks were so wicked. Well, in the natural, they were. And so Jonah thought, well, if it looks like they're impossible. Why am I even going? God can't do it. But it's actually when the task is impossible is when God really comes through. I think we said last week, if you can explain what God's doing, then God's not doing it. God has to be the one doing it through things that we can't even explain. He also had the wrong attitude about the word of God. He had a wrong attitude about circumstances and unsaved people. You think we can take or leave the word of God, things we don't like in it? Everyone likes to focus on the love of God. No one wants to focus on the judgment of God, but all of it is part of it, and you can't exclude one while including the other. Jonah didn't want to include that. He just wanted to focus on something else. He also looked at the circumstances and unsaved people, thinking those guys don't deserve to be saved. They're wicked people. They deserve God's punishment. But we found out that no one deserves God's punishment. God wants everyone to be saved. And when they choose to do that, God doesn't choose it for them. They're choosing it for themselves. After his departure from Israel, he seemed to, it seems that everything was working out for him. He found a boat. He had the money to pay the fare. He had a good night's sleep. Everything was working in his favor. But all of it was out of God's will. And we said that Ease and success are not necessarily an indication of God's blessing or leading. Everything might be working out for you perfectly, but you might be totally out of the will of God. And the opposite is true, too. You go into God's will, and all of a sudden, all this opposition comes your way doesn't necessarily mean that you're out of God's will. God may be allowing you to strengthen yourself and trusting him through these difficult times. So now we're back at verse 4 where we kind of left off last week. Jonah found the ship. He paid the fare, getting settled in for his trip, and things were going pretty well. Verse 4 says, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can he sleep? Get up and call upon your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lots fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What did you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? 
He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? And they knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. So if you remember Old Testament, Israel was supposed to be a blessing to other nations, and prophets were supposed to be a blessing to the people of Israel. And he was also supposed to be a blessing to those he came in contact with. But now he's becoming a curse to everyone he comes in contact with. Israel as a nation, they were supposed to be the light. They were supposed to be the nation that everyone looked to and wanted to become like because they worshiped the true God. When actually the opposite happened. They became like everybody else. So no one wanted to come to them because they were just like they were. And you know, that, I think about being different in the world today. We do a lot of things to attract people to being a Christian. And that's not all bad. But when you become like everybody else, then you're no different than everybody else. And why would they want to become like you? Because you're just like them. We have to offer them something that is different from them. The Bible says we're peculiar people. It doesn't mean we're weird. It just means we are different. When people look at us, they, they want to see something that's different. And they may not agree with it. They may not like it. But let me tell you, when a time comes, when hardship comes in their life, you're going to be the person they look to. Well, that person, he's a Christian. I don't agree with him, but man, he seems to have peace all the time. He seems to love God in spite of everything that's going on in his life. Whatever he's got, I want. Israel is supposed to be that, and Christians are supposed to be that. We're supposed to, the Bible says, live your life so in front of men so they can see what your good works and praise your Father in heaven. What do we do that's good? What do we do that people look at us and say, that's, that's really a noble effort. I was watching, a, I think I mentioned this on Wednesday night. You all know John Stossel. Anybody know who John Stossel is? He used to be a reporter. He does these five-minute videos now, and he was saying, using the hurricane as an example down in Florida, how inefficient the government is in responding to that. How many, that's no-brainer, right? Government is inefficient. They just don't do everything well. The people who do it great and do it perfectly as much as they can are the nonprofits, the church group, Convoy of Hope, the ones that are faith-based. They're the ones that come in right away and they fix everything and they do whatever they can. They, they help and people see that it's God's people helping them rather than the government trying to build something up. So when we do things and we bless those around us, we show them the love of God. We're supposed to be that light to the people in the world. Jonah was just the opposite of that. He was running away, and he was, because he was running away, he was now bringing curses on the people he was with. Back in Genesis 12, verse 1 says, The Lord said to Abraham, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and what? You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Are people blessed by us being there? I mean, do we have something in our life that people like to be around us? That we have something attractive for them? Do people feel blessed when we, when we are in their presence? Not that we're great, but do they feel something that is beneficial to them when we're there? Every time the nation of Israel backslid, they brought trouble to everyone around them. Genesis 12. Now there was a famine in the land. 
And Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarah, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I'll be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men servants, maidservants, and camels. Now, he is being blessed, right? He, he feels like he's being blessed. All this stuff is being given to him. But the fact that he went to Egypt was a lack of faith on his part, and lying, another act of unbelief and a lack of faith. And verse 17 says, but the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household. Why? Because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. When we sin, we don't do it in a vacuum. Other people are hurt by when we sin. Especially when people know we're Christians and we do something stupid or we sin and everyone sees it. Just look at all the folks on, that are famous evangelicals or whatever and they mess up. What happens, the cause of Christ universally is hurt. All of our testimony gets washed away when we do something wrong. Back in chapter 20 in Genesis, it says, Now Abram moved from there into the region of, in the Negev and lived there between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar, and there Abraham said of his wife, She is my sister. Again, he didn't learn his lesson the first time around. So he's doing it again. And then verse 3 says, But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said, you are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She's a married woman. So again, Abram's sin causes pain on other people. Achan, his sin causes the whole army of Israel to suffer, Joshua 7. But the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah, took some of the forbidden things. So the Lord's anger burned against who? All of Israel. Joshua 7, 4. So about 3,000 men went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai. This is when they went up to take the town. Who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the heart of the people melted and became like water. Joshua 7. Then the Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing on your face? Now, Joshua was praying. Why, Lord, why are we getting defeated? And what does the Lord say? Stop praying. Stop praying and look at your sin. He says, Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of their devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them in their own possession. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have made, been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Whole point is other people suffer when Christians fail to do what God calls them to do. When God's people sin, other people suffer. It's not fair, but that's what happens. Think of it this way. When a family's father or mother behaves badly, who suffers? The kids usually, and the spouse. 
We don't sin in a vacuum. Sin is not a personal thing. It affects other people, and sometimes it affects others more than it affects us. I think you mentioned drunk drivers this morning in class. Through no fault of their own, someone is killed through, because of a drunk driver. And usually the drunk driver survives that accident. The people they hit don't. Our sin causes other people sometimes to be hurt more than us. And Jonah didn't really care because he's sleeping through the whole storm. He's called to be a blessing to the nation of Israel. Israel's called to be a blessing to the nations around her. Neither one of them was fulfilling that call. And all the others were suffering because of it. When you don't fulfill the God place of the will of God that he places on your lives, others invariably suffer because of it. Think about what you're called to in, in your life, in your ministry, whatever that might be, and suppose you say no. Who suffers? Maybe God's calling you to, to witness to somebody, and you don't. That person may never hear the gospel again. Or maybe you're called to bless someone, or be in their life, or just pray for someone, or be there to listen, and you say no, and that person misses out on what you can do for them. Maybe you have the words of life that they need to hear. And everyone has a call in their life, not just preachers. And when we don't respond, others suffer because of it. We cease to be a blessing to those we come in contact with. Let's look at the things that Jonah lost because he wasn't a blessing. Well, the first thing he lost was the ability to hear God's voice. In verse 1, it says the word of the Lord came to Jonah. So he was listening. It doesn't say that here. He was no longer speaking to Jonah. He had to use other guys to get Jonah's attention. He had to use the storm to get Jonah's attention. He no longer was speaking just audibly to him or through his spirit. Now God was speaking to him through his actions. So what does it say in verse 4? It says it doesn't say the word of the Lord came to Jonah. It says the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. And such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. One commentary says this, everything in nature obeys God except man. <laughs> when Jesus calmed the storm in Matthew 8, it says, the men were amazed and asked, what kind of madness is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. So we're the only rebels on God's planet. <laughs> when we don't listen to God's still small voice, he will use other means to get our attention. And usually those means aren't pleasant. C.S. Lewis says, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts to us in our pains. It's his megaphone to arouse a deaf world. Nobody wants more of God than when you're suffering, right? When things start to go bad, everybody starts wanting God. Even the world starts thinking about God when bad things happen. I mean, look at the, the hurricane in Florida. How many people were saying, how come God didn't stop that? How come God didn't, you know, why did God allow that to happen? Every time Israel left God, God had to use judgment to get their attention. He stopped being nice to them and started having to spank them. Jeremiah 15, 6 says, you have forsaken me and turned your back on me, says the Lord. Therefore, I will raise my clenched fist to destroy you. I am tired of always giving you another chance. Wow. 
You ever hear the unpardonable sin? The unpardonable sin is not something that you do. It's actually something that you don't do. The Bible says we're drawn by the Spirit of God. No one comes to the Father unless the Father draws him. He will put that thought in your mind. He will give you, making you think about God. And you can do one of two things. You can say yes to God or you can say no, not right now. And you can ignore that. And the Bible says when you blaspheme means to come against the Holy Spirit. It means you can, God will draw you and God will draw you and God will draw you. And every time you say no, that draw gets a little bit less, a little bit less, a little bit less until you no longer are able to hear or feel God's draw. And so since you no longer can feel God's draw because he's given you multiple chances to be saved, you no longer hear his voice, you no longer feel the draw, and the Bible says you've, you can't get saved because God's not, no longer drawing you because you've ignored it so many times. And it seems like what he, what he wants to do to Israel is the same thing, but he now turns it around with Jesus. But the same is also true for us. You know, it's dangerous to sit in a church service every week, every week, every week and hear the gospel and not respond to it because what happens eventually is you get hardened to it and you no longer want to hear it. And you know what? Now the Father's no, no longer drawing you because he's given you multiple chances and you said no every time and every time he, you say no, that voice gets a little bit less. The first time someone steals something it's very nerve-wracking. You walk out of the store shaking that you're trying to steal something. Second time you do it, it's not, not quite as bad. Third time you do it, that conscience seems to get a little bit less until finally it's no big deal anymore. The Bible calls that searing your conscience. You know what to do and you ignore it and you keep ignoring it and finally you don't feel guilty about it anymore. God used judgment to get Israel's attention. God used a storm to get Jonah's attention. God will do that in our lives to get our attention. Hebrews 12 says, My child, don't ignore it when the Lord disciplines you. Don't be discouraged when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes those he accepts as children. How many of you, when you have little kids, punish them when they did something wrong? Now, if you're of a certain generation, that meant off comes the belt, bend over, and it's coming. Why? Because parents want to know that there are consequences for action. If you do something bad, there's punishment for that. If you don't do that, what happens when they become adults, there's never any consequences for action. Now they become delinquents and they start doing criminal things. Now, it doesn't mean you abuse them. Although, probably some of you felt abused. If you look back on it, you probably deserved every whooping you got. There's a reason that God says you love your kids so you correct them. When your child does something that will hurt them, you want them to understand that you don't want them to do that. And so you want them to kind of fear you a little bit. We, when my kids are little, my wife calls it my outside voice. When my kids were doing something and they were starting to run towards something that they shouldn't be running to, you know, stop! 
And they, that, that tone of voice caught their attention. We, were, we took uh, Nora to uh, gymnastics over on Pennsylvania Avenue and was coming out. It was night around 7 30, 8 o'clock. And she's running across the grass, if you're familiar with this place. She's running across the grass to get to the car. And right in her line of running was a skunk. Just walking along the grass. And she didn't see him because he's black and stark. Huh? And I see that little white stripe and I yelled, Nora, stop! And, you know, she stopped. If I'd have used a different tone, she'd have kept running. But that, that tone, she knew, okay, <laughs> something's wrong. And same thing. God has a tone. And he wants to get your attention. And the, the more we ignore that tone, the less it's going to mean something to us. God loves us and he wants us to listen to him. Because he knows when we listen to him, our life goes better. And we know when our kids listen to us, life goes better for them. And they grow up to be hopefully better adults. So now God's getting Jonah's attention. Verses 4 and 5, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. I wrote down, sometimes other people in our lives will notice a spiral downward before we see it. We start doing things that we shouldn't be doing. Other people will notice it before we really feel bad about it. In fact, pagans will sound spiritual about things before we do. He's sleeping, not listening to God, totally out of God's will. He's sound asleep. And what I say before, when things go bad, everyone starts asking God for help, whether it's the true God or their false gods. And so they're beginning to think, okay, God's got to be here somewhere. We've got to cry out to some God. And there's this guy sleeping in the cabin down there. Who is he? So now he's got his attention. And they begin to do what they think will help stop the pain. In other words, they're throwing stuff off the boat. I'm going to do everything that looks natural to do. A lot of people will do other things in their life that they think will stop the pain. When we know that the answer to their pain in their life is the Lord. How many people drink because they have pain? How many people are abusive because they have pain? Things in their life that they think will help them but actually draw them further away from what will really help them. How many people we, do we know that when things start to go wrong, they ask you to pray? I, I know you go to church, can you pray for me? When my brother was, had that cancer scare, which he's still going through, who never darkened the door of a church, even when we were in Florida, he, never, he would never come to hear me preach. He lived five seconds away. He calls me to tell me what's going on, and I say, can I pray for you? And he says, yeah. And I say, well, can I church pray for you? He said, yeah, thanks. God will get your attention. <laughs> but sometimes it's a small window <laughs> that God's getting your attention because once that initial scare is over, what happens? People go back to the way they were. So God gives us an opportunity. But people look at you and they know that you have an in with God, quote, <laughs> 
And so they want you to pray. As Christians, when we don't offer them the only solution to the problem because we don't want to do what God asked us to do, people will flounder and they'll do anything and everything to help solve the situation. Why? Because we haven't told them what will help them in their situation. And it comes down to being nervous or afraid. How many of you, when you're faced with a chance to witness to someone, do you kind of not? I think we're all guilty of that. I was guilty of that Friday. I could have, I had an opportunity and I didn't. And I walked out going, you idiot. You had a chance and you didn't do it. Not only did Jonah lose his ability to hear from God, he lost his spiritual energy. Jonah 1.5 says, But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. So there's a storm going on all around him. People are throwing their stuff overboard. Jonah's sleeping through it all. He was immune to the pain that others were going through. He didn't care about them spiritually, didn't care about their salvation, didn't care about their physical health. He was sleeping. And again, these guys were doing what they thought would help turn their, their God into helping them. And now there's nothing else available to help them make right choices. Jonah's sleeping. They're doing whatever they're doing, which is all wrong. And Jonah could be up there telling them what to do to fix it, but he wasn't. Because God's man was totally unconcerned about the safety of other people. We don't, when we disobey God and don't follow his call, what we're doing is actually showing a lack of compassion for someone else. And we just lounge around unfazed by the suffering that people are enduring when we have the help that they need. Jonah didn't even care about his own positions because they were getting tossed in the water too. All he cared about was himself and having a nap. In Proverbs 24 says, a little sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. You know, early morning rise pretty quickly, right? And every time that alarm goes off, don't you just want to sleep a little bit longer? What happens when you do that? You're probably going to be late for work. And what happens if you do that a couple more times, you're going to be out of a job. A little more sleep, a little more slumber, and poverty is going to pounce on you. You'll be out of a job. There's a time to rest, but there's a time to work. We all need to be doing God's work. But Jonah didn't care about anything else other than him getting a good night's sleep. Remember when King Hezekiah showed the enemies everything in his camp? He brought his, all the enemies in near, near the end of his life and he shows them all this all his stuff which God did not want him to do. And God judged him for that. Isaiah 39 verse 5 says, Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Listen to this message from the Lord Almighty. The time is coming when everything you have, all the treasures stored up by your ancestors will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. Some of your own descendants will be taken away into exile. They will become eunuchs who will serve in the palace of Babylon's king. 
Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, this message you have given to me from the Lord is good. But the king was thinking, at least there'll be peace and security in my lifetime. Long as things are okay with me, I don't care what happens after me. He didn't even care about his own family. Just cared about himself. A sure sign that your walk with God is waning is your lack of concern when you hear about the suffering of other people. I'm on this Facebook page of AG preachers. And I, I read some of their posts and I, man, I feel horrible for these guys. There's one guy in particular, um, his wife had cancer. He's young, he was in his 40s, I'm thinking. Don't know him from Adam other than on his Facebook page. And he chronicled how his wife's progression just got worse and worse and she finally did pass away. And now he's going through all that with his kids. I pray for him all the time. I feel bad. I mean, I, you know, at 40. How many people do we know that are going through that and we just really care? You feel, and uh, who was it that said, it's like survivor's guilt. Oh, my brother-in-law said that. He lives in Florida, but he missed it. He was up in Tampa, so he didn't get any of the hurricane. It was actually headed toward him and then it veered and went to Fort Myers. And he says, it's like a survivor's guilt. You know, why, why am I so blessed? Why do I have all these things and other people are suffering so much? Even good people who love God. You have compassion on them. You want to pray for them. You want to help them. And then you have people who are just good people but don't know the Lord and you want them to come to know Christ. And it's easy to say, well, they're, you know, life's going good for them. I don't want to interfere with that. Man, they need to know Christ just like everybody else. And sometimes we say, you know, God yells in our, in our pain. A lot of times when people think that they're, you know, everything's going good for them. Everything's right. They got a good job. Money's okay. Things are good. Kids are healthy. They don't need God. That's when they need God. They're deceived by everything going well for them. And they'll go into their grave looking like everything's well for them. We need to care about them. We care about the people who are hurting. We also need to care about the people who are just good people, but man, they're going to wind up in hell if we don't tell them. And it really shows your lack of faith if you don't care about those that are closest to you. Hezekiah. They said, your family is going to be taken to Babylon. Your family's going to be servants and eunuchs and they're going to be tortured. Eh, long as things are good with me, I don't care. Not only did he not hear from God, not only did he lose his spiritual energy, he lost his power in prayer. Verse 6 says, the captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. I mentioned earlier, when people are hurting and they know you have faith and know you go to church, they're going to come to you looking for help and hope. When they come to you, are you going to be prayed up enough to help them? We used to, when I was, worked in the world, we, well, I sold. I was a sales, I was a traveling salesman. And I worked with hospitals and stuff. And the number one th rule of selling is what? Know your product. No matter what they ask you, you better know everything there is to know about it. And then know your competition. When people come to you as a Christian, 
do you know your product? Do you know what the word says about their particular situation? Do you know what God's word says about whatever it might be that they come to you with? Are you able to have scripture in the back of your mind that God will bring to your mind when you need it? You may not have it just on the, on the cuff. If you're sitting on, the, on a couch, someone says, hey, quote this verse to me. Yeah, I don't know what it is. You're in a situation where someone asks you a question about God's word. God will give that verse to you. But you have to have read it first. You, ha- you got to put it in there somewhere so God will bring it back to you. The Bible says God's word does not return void. It will accomplish what it was meant to do. So when someone comes to you and asks you about situations in their life, do you know what God says about that situation? What does the Bible say about this? Do you know your product enough so when people come to you, you don't have to say, oh, wait, I don't know. I don't know what God's word. Call the preacher. No. We should know it. We used to, back at our home church, we would go visit folks uh, on staff. When you go visit someone in the hospital as a a pastor, they anticipate that. They expect that. So for them, it's not a big deal. It might be, but it's not that big of a deal. It is a big deal when you visit. When someone who was not paid to do that, quote, visits them, sends them a card, calls them. Whenever we would go, the attitude was, well, okay, you're doing your job. Right or wrong, that was a lot of the attitude. Well, you're doing your job. You're a pastor. You're supposed to be here. But when someone from the church, the congregation, goes and visits or prays with them or calls them, it means a lot more than if I do it because they realize that other people in the body of Christ cares about them and they're not getting anything for it. It matters when people get a card from you. It matters that you call them. It matters that you pray for them. It matters to people that you're able to minister to them when they need it. Whenever something that goes on in your life that God gets you through, now God can use you in a situation that he can never use anybody else. Second Corinthians 1 says, Paul says, I suffered all these things, and now that I'm done with that, now, now that, that, that suffering is over and done, now I'm able to help people who are now be, beginning to go through it because I've been there. And it's the same with whatever's in your life. Someone who has battled cancer and won is able to minister to someone who is in the same situation a lot more than I can because they've been there. They know how God helped them. They know what God did for them. Rather than just someone saying, well, yeah, I'll pray for you. They were there. They anticipated and they got God's answer. When you are prayed up, God will put you in situations that will allow you to use you to minister to someone that only you can do that with. The guys in the ship who could, the one guy in the ship who could actually pray to the real God wasn't doing it. Now for Jonah to approach God, he would have to first what? Humble himself. Ask for forgiveness and then determine to obey God before his prayers could be answered. 
Psalm 66 says, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Don't expect God to be really Johnny on the spot answering your prayer if you're continuing to disregard his word and his will. If you're sinning and you're not repenting of it, but you're praying, God's gonna say, you know what? I'm not gonna answer that right now. He says, the Lord would not have listened if I had cherished sin in my heart. And if Jonah did pray, at this particular moment, his prayer wouldn't have been answered. Loss of power in your prayer life is one of the first indications that you are far from God and you need to get right with him first. Now Jonah lost his testimony in verse seven. It says, then the sailors said to each other, come let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What did you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? When we start to be disobedient to God's call, what happens, we begin to act differently. When you don't read and you don't pray and you don't fellowship with other Christians, you now become, you act differently. You should not act any differently here than you do on your job or when you go to the store. You should be the same person. That's the number one complaint of people who don't know Christ is we're hypocrites, right? Because we act one way in church, we're all holy and everything in church, but when we go to work, or we go to church or, or shopping, whatever it might be, we act differently. We're two different people, that should not be. We should be the same person here that we are there. Jonah wasn't. He began to act totally differently and he lost credibility with those around him. And if you act differently in the world than you do here, you're not gonna have any credibility with them. Now I've said before, I think this is true. If you stand for something, they may not like what you stand for, but if you are consistent in your position, they will respect you even if they don't like what you stand for. If you stand for something one day and then when you're different with different people, you stand for something different, Nobody's gonna respect you. The people whose position you thought you like, oh, he, he can't, look at politicians. I mean, they say one thing and five seconds later they're doing something else. You lose respect for them. If they're conservative, they do something liberal, you don't believe them anymore. Liberals don't believe them anymore because, you know, they do something conservative. You have to be consistent in what you say and how you live. And if you're not, you lose your testimony. Jonah's name means dove. His father's name, Amittai, means faithful. And he wasn't living up to either of those in his life. First, he wasn't living up to his calling as a Jew. Why? Because he was bringing trouble on these people instead of blessing. And he wasn't living up to his calling as a prophet because he had no message from God. Hopefully, Everything we preach from here, we don't pontificate on anything else. When you stop having a message from God and you start talking about something else, you now lose your testimony. We become a rotary club or a motivational speaker. This is the church, we, we preach what God's word says. We don't tangent on other things. Jonah lost his testimony because he had no message from God, he had nothing to share. 
Now, during this time, casting lots, you know, like drawing straws, was a widely used method for determining simple or arbitrary decisions. Many times, God used this method to have his will done. Joshua 18. There at Shiloh, Joshua cast sacred lots in the presence of the Lord to determine which tribe should have each section. First Chronicles 24, all tasks were assigned to the various groups by means of sacred lots so that no preference would be shown for there were many qualified officials serving God in the sanctuary. Acts 1, when they cast lots, and in this way Matthias was chosen and became an apostle with other 11. So this was a common thing in the Old Testament. And to some degree, we do it here when we have elections. But it shouldn't be just the luck of the draw. It should be, we have the Holy Spirit, right? We pray for the Holy Spirit. When we make a decision in that way, we should pray that the Holy Spirit gives us wisdom rather than just flipping a coin and whatever the coin says we do. We have God's Holy Spirit, we have God's word, and we have prayer to determine what God has for us to do. We don't flip a coin to see what God wants. We let God speak to us through the Holy Spirit. When you pray and you read, what does God want us to do? As much as I would like it to be, we don't use fleeces anymore either. I would like to have that confirmation at times, but it's not a genuine way to determine God's will. We pray, we read, we let the Holy Spirit put in our spirits what God wants us to do. But back then they drew lots, and when it was shown to be Jonah's fault, Jonah had to finally make a stand. In verse 9 it says, He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. And this terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. So they're on the ocean. I guess, I don't know if it's the sea, whatever they're at, they're going to drown, and he worships who? The God of the land and the sea. <laughs> the God who made the sea, he worshiped that God, and they're asking themselves, well, why aren't you doing something? Your God has made this stuff, help us. The God who created the very sea they were on and was punishing his servant, and that's why they were all suffering. We have to take an accurate account of our lives. We always ask, have to ask ourselves, are we following the call of God and, leading, and the leading of God fully? Are we doing what God wants us to do? And every, every calling is different. And now, not every calamity is God getting our attention because storms come up doing exactly what God wants you to do. But if we, am, we examine ourselves truthfully and honestly, we will know which is which. When I first thought I was going to do this ministry thing, I was a pretty new Christian. I went to my pastor and I said, you know, what, do I, should I do this or not? You know, every new Christian wants to be a preacher. You know, should I do this? He says, I'll tell you what. You go pray about it. And if you feel God's telling you to do it, you need to remember when that calling is. And I remember I was in the sound booth during a service on a Sunday morning and I felt that at that moment God said, do it. He says, because there's going to come many times in your life when you're going to doubt what God's asking you to do. You have to be able to look back to a certain point like an anchor and say, okay, God called me here. Regardless of what's happening here, I know God told me to do it here. 
So what here, no matter what's happening here, I'm still doing what God wants me to do. So when you're doing something that God calls you to do, you have to remember when God called you to do it. It doesn't matter what's happening now. Look at when you are convinced that God told you to do it. Because you're not going to be convinced that every, when every storm comes up, well, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. And there's a lot of times I'll look back and say, man, is this right? Am I sure I'm doing this? Is this? Look back. Yes, God said do it. Okay, then you're going to help me through this storm. The more you do it, the more you examine yourselves. You'll know which is which. You'll know that the storm is not because you're against God's will. The storm is there for God to strengthen you in his will. When the disciples were out in the water, they're doing exactly what God told them to do. Storm comes up. Why did the storm come up? To show them what God was capable of doing and what they were capable of doing with faith. Peter said, can I, can I get out of the boat? Jesus said, yeah, get out of the boat. And for a while, he walked on water. That would have never happened if there wasn't a storm. If there wasn't difficulties, you can't trust God to come through in the difficulties. If everything's smooth sailing, you don't really need anything from God, you don't need any miraculous signs, you can cruise along. But the minute that something comes up that you can't handle, and you see God handling it, say, okay, wow, man, praise the Lord. Look what God did here. Take no credit because God is the one who did it. And I guess the question is, are you continually seeking to do his will? Not that we're perfect, but in our imperfection, are we doing our best to do what God calls us to do? Do we sit back and just let things pass? Or do we consider what God wants us to do today? You know, we sing that song, if I'm not dead, then you're not done. <laughs> so that means... If I'm still breathing, there's something that God wants me to do. And it's not just taking up space. It's doing something. How many of you play sports or have played sports at a time? Do you like sitting on the bench doing nothing? Or do you want to play? <laughs> Let me play. If you sit on the bench all the time, it's, not, it's no fun. And you don't get to really com contribute to what the team's doing. But man, let me play. Let me get out there. And if I fail, I fail. If I make it, I make it. If I, but let me contribute something. And that's the way it is with the walk of God. I think if you sit on the bench too long, you just get complacent. And you don't really care. But man, the minute you get in and you start doing stuff and you see God doing it through you, it's like, oh, yes, this is what it's all about. And that's why everybody has something that God calls them to do. And if you're not doing that, last thing I wrote here, now is the time to change. Why? Because before long, God is going to allow things in your life that are meant to get your attention. God cares about you too much to let you go. And he's going to do what he feels is necessary to get your attention. When you have a wayward teen... You do whatever you need to do to get their attention. And a lot of times that teen does not like what you are doing. But you're doing it because you love them. You don't want them to be in the pain they're in, but you're allowing it because you know if they keep going the way they're going to go, it's going to be bad. 
God cares about us enough that he's not going to let us go. And he's going to do things in your life to get your attention because he really wants you to do great things. He wants you to be blessed. He wants you to be a blessing. He wants to use you for great things. The last sentence, and I'm going to make it. If you know you aren't where God wants, where God wants you to be, today's the day to make that change. Get out of the boat that Jonah's in and go to the land and preach to Nineveh. And you never know what God's going to do with you. Would you stand as we close this morning? Would you bow your heads for a moment? Now, I'm pretty sure that everyone here is a, is a believer. But I can never make that assumption totally. So if you're here and you've never really committed your life to Christ, the Bible says we're all sinners. We are all, every one of us, sinned and fallen short of what God's expectation of us is. And the Bible also says the wages of those sins is death, which means separation from God. Not only are you separated from God, now you'll be separated from God after you die. But the Bible says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. In other words, the payment that we should pay for our sin was paid for by Jesus he already took that for us. But we have to receive it. It's one thing to know it in your head. It's another thing to receive it. The Bible says as many as receive him did he give the power and the authority to become children of God. If I have a gift that's wrapped up here with your name on it and I say this gift is for you, you can see that gift, you can know it's there and you believe it's for you. But if you walk out of here and you leave that gift up here, that gift does you no good. It's not really beneficial to you at all. And sometimes people do that with Christ. They believe it. Yeah, he did die for me. But they don't do anything about it. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you'll be saved. You have to receive it. You have to believe it in your heart, not just your head. And you can go to church all your life and believe it in your head, but not do anything about it. But the Bible says that today's the day of salvation. Today's the day that God is getting your attention. Whatever you're doing, if you're here, or you're watching even on, on TV or online, you're not watching by accident. God set the whole thing up because he wants you to make a commitment and trust him for your eternal salvation. So that's you, and you've never really made that commitment. You can't look back on a time in your life where you say, yes, on this day, I, I trusted Christ. If you don't have that, and the Bible says these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. If you're not sure 
The Bible says examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Maybe you never made that commitment. Maybe you're thinking that because I attend church, that's good enough. But it's not. You have to receive the gift. And if that's you and you want to receive that gift, you want your life transformed. And trust me, it will transform your life. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Father, thank you for the way you transform our life. Thank you for condescending to use us in the work of the kingdom. You've chosen people, imperfect, sinful people, to do eternal work for your kingdom. And Father, all we can sit, do is sit back in amazement that you chose to use us. But we do pray that you would use us fully and that we would be committed to doing what you've asked us to do. We want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. We want our lives to matter here. We want others to see you in us. And let others' lives be changed because of what you've asked us to do and what you've done through us. Help us to be a blessing to those around us. Help us to live our lives a little bit differently so we are attractive to people when they go through difficulties. That they'll look at us and think and know we have the answer to their problems. So Father, I pray you bless us as we leave today and again let us be a blessing to those we encounter. And we ask this in Jesus' name and everyone said, Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. See you Wednesday night. 6.30, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. We encourage you to be here for that.